the disagreement is turning pretty dark. We have a divided nation. We have a very divided nation. We seem to be living in a time of utter tribalism. If it's true to you, then it's true. No, it's not. In order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. Nothing is as important as the truth of God revealed in Scripture. Welcome to Disagree With Me, a podcast dedicated to considerate conversations on taboo topics. My name is Angel Rodriguez, and I am your host. Uh, today, not joined by, as usual, my Caleb. Sorry, I'm usually joined by Caleb, but today I'm not. Instead, I am joined by, by Bryce Mitchell, who's agreed to come on the podcast to talk about Catholicism. I'm, I'm really excited about this, this conversation, but before we get into that, how are you doing, Bryce? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Um, it's funny because uh, we haven't really ever like talked in person. <laughs> like we've seen each other in passing. So now we're going to have like a taboo conversation. And like it's the first, the first conversation we ever really have is one where we disagree. So that that should be fun. <laughs> but yeah, man. I mean, like I said, we're going to be talking about um catholicism i am not a catholic i think if anybody's been following this podcast they would know i'm, I'm not a catholic but you you are right bryce that is correct yes okay. i was confirmed this easter okay nice but you actually grew up in evangel in an evangelical household correct yes yeah so i would i went to the same evangelical free church um for my entire life and um i was a protestant for 20 years Okay. Uh, and I've been a Catholic for about eight weeks. Dang. Oh, wow. That's pretty recent. <laughs> I didn't know it was that recent. Okay. So you've been a Protestant for longer than I have been a Protestant. Is that? Oh, yeah. I was not. So I'm, I'm originally from the Dominican Republic. Okay. The Dominican Republic is like 95% Catholic. So, I mean, oh, I, moved here when I, yeah, I moved here when I was seven. So, um, I guess you could say I was a Catholic for seven years. I don't know, <laughs> growing up there, but yeah. So that's that's really interesting to me that you grew up, like you said, you've been were a Protestant for twenty years, and then recently you become a a Catholic. Mm -hmm. Why? What happened? Like how how did you go from being a, a Protestant and growing up in an evangelical home to then becoming a Catholic? Yeah. So. Um... I grew up learning uh, sort of reformed Calvinistic theology, and uh, I became a Calvinist when I was 15 from uh, a course our church put on called Foundations of the Faith, where we walked through um, a series done by R.C. Sproul. And uh, so I wasn't growing up as a young child, even though my parents were Calvinists, I was not a Calvinist, uh, just because I had. I had intuitions that I had to overcome first before I became a Calvinist. Um, and what happened was about the time I was 17, uh, which was also the time I started going to college, I had finished reading the Bible all the way through from front to cover. And I became convinced from that, that Calvinism was wrong uh, on a few points, but mainly 
on the I, I I actually almost became like uh uh like uh, uh, I I started to reject a lot of the religious aspects of uh, Christianity, uh things like original sin. Uh, but also things like the Calvinist doctrines of unconditional election and uh, perseverance of saints. And I sort of uh, adopted a, uh, a mere Christianity standpoint of theology. So like I was, uh, I was just going to get to like the very basics of the basics. Uh, and I kind of, I, I was in there for a while in that sort of space. But what happened was, I, uh, I was trying to harmonize uh, a, a theology, and I was finding it very difficult. And uh, coming from Calvinism, I didn't find any sort of Arminian theology on the same intellectual level as Calvinism, because Calvinism is fairly intellectually rigorous, uh, and it's got uh, there are some great Calvinist apologists, and so. Um, I couldn't find any, any theology to replace Calvinism. So I was kind of just in this, uh, this, uh, I call it a, a, a theological sea where I was just, I was like, I'm just going to leave this, this sort of these mere, mere Christianity tenets, um, and get by with that. But what happened was, uh, the, the idea of Catholicism, uh, being true was uh not something i'd ever considered i i didn't grow up in a, a very in, in a, a house that was at all sympathetic to catholicism uh i had a very protestant upbringing um, and i was homeschooled also and i had a very protestant curriculum especially uh history but one one day i was i was listening to a podcast uh by michael knowles from the daily wire and he had on his show this priest named Father Mike Schmitz. And uh, I'd never really seen, like, interacted at all in any way with uh, a priest. And here I was watching one on this podcast, and he seemed, he seemed very reasonable. Um, and he seemed to uh, know what he was talking about. And so I checked him out on YouTube, and I started watching his videos. And the first video I ever watched was this video on purgatory. Uh, where he, he explains sort of the, the logical rationale for pur behind purgatory, and that uh, you know, Protestants such as C.S. Lewis believe in purgatory, and uh, it was very convincing. And so afterwards, I was like, "Wow, I guess I guess I can uh, I can see how um, a kind of purgatory is a reasonable conclusion from the Bible." And another thing that happened with um, my sort of getting away from a lot of uh, what I'd call Orthodox Christianity and just kind of trying to strip down Christianity to like the lowest common denominator is it really, it really left it lacking. Uh, and also it wasn't, uh, it, it left me wanting more Christianity. And so when I found Father Mike Schmitz, he was presenting reasonable reasonable arguments for catholicism that i never considered uh, and there's a lot of things that kind of um 
that took me by surprise. And so I, I kind of, kind of just, I, so basically what happened is from that, I included uh, Catholicism in some of my theological research. Um, I was doing a lot of, a lot of research trying to, trying to figure out what, trying, I guess I was trying to find what's true, right? Mm-hmm. What's true and what can we know is true from the Bible? And, uh, but my introduction to Father Mike Smith led me to include Catholicism in that, in that search. And so I found a website called uh, CatholicAnswers.org. And that was through Michael Knowles again. And that one, it, it's a great, it's a great sort of um, popular level uh, Catholic apologist, uh, apologetics resource. And uh, what, what I found happening is a lot of, a lot of the things I believed about Catholicism turned out to be misconceptions. And then uh, a lot of the things that uh, I, I previously believed turned out just to be not true. So for, for example, yeah. um, can you give me one of those? Yeah. But the, the Deuter canonical, right. I had always been taught and I always believed that the Catholics added the Deuter canonicals to the, uh, that's the, the seven old Testament books that, uh, uh, Protestants call the Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd always been taught that Catholics added those to the canon in the Council of Trent. Um, but as it were, it turns out while the, the Council of Trent was the first ecumenical council to dogmatically declare that they were part of the council, uh, uh, part of the canon, excuse me, uh, the, the same exact canon of scripture had been included in the, the Council of Rome in the fourth century and the Synod of Hippo also in the fourth century. So it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a new thing being proposed by Trent. And actually the, the books were included in um, Protestant Bibles until I believe it was 1825 when the English Bible society removed them from, the, um, from their Bibles. And so that was sort of an, that was, that was a turning point because then I realized what I believe had not only been not true, but it was almost the opposite of what was true. Uh, and uh, that really started to change my opinion about Catholicism. Yeah. So are there any other, I know you mentioned like you were looking at the different arguments that were being made. Is there like a, another argument that, um, like what's what was like the most uh like i don't know how to phrase this like the most shocking thing or the thing that like that you were most impacted by as you were doing your research right so the the deuterocanonicals i would say that was the most shocking but another one uh that i just found to be unfair was the claim that um uh i'd always heard that like Catholic churches would chain their Bible to the lecterns mm-hmm. uh, and that they would, they put it, they had the Bibles in Latin to keep common people from reading them, which uh, isn't fair because uh, Protestant churches would also chain their Bibles to the lectern because Bibles were incredibly expensive and hard to produce. Um, uh, it was a very labor intensive process to produce Bibles. And also, uh, most people couldn't read, but people who could read could read Latin. And so 
because you know of the the time and labor it would take to produce a Bible, uh, it would make sense to produce it in the the universal language of the time, which is Latin. And in addition, that would help prevent um, doctrinal errors from occurring from translations because things are lost in translation. And so it's perfectly it you know it's um, it would be perfectly reasonable to have the the most common Bible translation to be in Latin because that's what people read at the time. And uh, just because of the the pragmatic, like it, it's perfectly reasonable for that to be the case, considering the circumstances of the of the time period. Okay. No, fair enough. I'm writing these things down because I want to, I want to look into that yeah. as well, for sure. Um, like one of the, the things that, like I said, like I'm from the Dominican Republic, my, most of my family around me would say that they're Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not as well researched as you are, to be honest with you. But um. I guess like the main concern that I have and, and that I, I'll, like, I want to hear from you specifically, like what is, because ultimately when it comes down to it, it's the most important thing is how, how is somebody saved in the Catholic church? Like, what is it that one has to do or, or yeah. How, how is someone saved? How is someone made right with God according right. to the Catholic tradition? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the Catholic, the Catholic answer to that would be you have to believe, repent, and be baptized. Um, And that is how you're brought into uh, the uh, brought into the church, into the body of Christ, uh, and made right with God, justified. Uh, It's an important thing, and this was something that was hard to grasp at first, is um, Catholic theology is a a sacramental theology. Mm -hmm. uh, And what a, a sacrament is, is it's a, a visible or a physical sign of some invisible reality. And so, uh, like the baptism is, there's the physical outward sign of you being, you know, dunked in water or sprinkled with water. But then there's the, the, the metaphysical reality or the transcendent reality of your sins being forgiven, washed away, so to speak. Uh, and the the metaphysical reality is tied to the, um, the, 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 to the baptism in that when you, it's an, an efficacious sign. So when you do the baptism, your sins are actually forgiven. Whereas with, um, some Protestants, again, Mm -hmm. uh, Lutherans have some sacramental theology, uh, but most Protestants do not hold to a a sacramental theology. a sacramental sort of theology where um, baptism actually uh, brings about the forgiveness of sins, but it's just a sign. Yeah. So, so you would say that in order for somebody to be saved, they must be baptized. Like there, they cannot be saved unless they are baptized. Right. But there is, there is one caveat. So we are, we are bound to the sacrament of us humans are, yeah. we are bound the sacrament of baptism uh, because Jesus commands it obviously, but God is not right. All the old testaments, the old Testament saints were Mm -hmm. saved without being baptized. So, um, you know, the, the new birth, the regeneration is, uh, what is necessary for salvation. Uh, we say baptism is necessary for salvation because baptism brings about new birth. Uh, but it is possible for God to bring about new birth 
uh, to make someone born again without baptism. Okay. So it's like how Catholics say it is God is not bound to sacraments, but we are in this okay. way. So as so a like, Catholic, oh, what's that? So as a Catholic, like, are you, is your goal in life to see as many people as possible be baptized? Is that, is that something that you're trying to do? Uh, yes. Yeah. I would love to see as many people as possible join the church. Yes. So is it, because, because like I, I have, um, right. The, the great commission in the Bible, right. is just to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teach them to be all that I have commanded you, right. To like go and preach the gospel, make sure people right. hear the word of God. Uh, I think of, I'm sure you know better than I do, right? Like verses like Romans 1, 16, right? Where the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Um, so I, I, I believe um, because of my reading in the Bible and mm-hmm. that, you know, we have to go out and we have to preach the gospel uh, that Jesus Christ is King and, and he has come to earth. And um, because we have sinned against him, he has died on the cross and, and taken on our sin and risen again. And he calls all people everywhere to repent of their sins and to trust in him to be saved. And we do, we are baptized after repenting and putting our faith in Christ. After we are saved, our baptism does, does not save us. Um, and, and I'm, I, I see it. Um, I think it's my mission as a Christian to go out and preach that gospel. Right, so that people hear it and and God may work in their hearts so they may turn from their sins. Um, but you would say, correct me if I'm wrong, but you would say like that. Maybe this is what I'm thinking, and correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Yeah. So is it is it? Would you say that it is more important to um, have somebody be baptized, or 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 maybe or, or is it to preach the gospel? What I just said. Or do you just not even have to preach that gospel and you just have to get them baptized? Oh, no. Like, we can... Um, have you ever seen the movie Nacho Libre? I, I love that movie, man. That's my favorite movie. <laughs> have you not been baptized? <laughs> Why have you not been baptized? On Toledo and baptizes him. Yeah. Felicidades. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say no to that. That's, no, not, see, that's not legit. <laughs> I, I, I see baptism. Right. That is not a valid baptism. There. Okay. Um, no, I see baptism as part of the gospel. Um, and, you know, if you look at the Great Commission, yeah. uh, which is the command to spread the gospel, it is, you know, there is the command to baptize. So I, I see baptism as part of the gospel message so and not existing in like a, a vacuum. Okay. Yeah. Do you do you think that because in the Catholic, I was actually a child. Like I said, I grew up in the Dominican Republic and it's a Catholic nation. And I was baptized as a, I was probably like one or two years old when I was baptized. I was a little boy. Um, I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't know the gospel. I, didn't, I really didn't understand the gospel until I was probably like 17 or 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So do you think that at the moment when an individual is baptized, even if they're baptized as a child, I mean, it's a little bit different for you since, you know, like you said, you were a Protestant for 20 yeah. years and then not too long ago. Um, would you say that a child that is baptized into the the Catholic Church without understanding of what the gospel is, they are saved and um, uh, yes, yes, I would. I mean, Jesus says um, 
he says, I forget where, but he says this. Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't Jesus. It might have been an axe with the, the, the jailer. The Philippian uh, jailer? This promise is for you and for your, your children. Cho- yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I 100% believe children can be baptized. Uh, you know, baptism is uh, like, it's the, it's like the, the, the new covenant equivalent of circumcision. Which was done doing things. Yeah. Uh, so. Do you do you see circumcision or baptism as as a work of the law, or do you see it? Is it a work of the law? No, I don't. I don't see baptism as a work of the law. No. You don't see you don't see it as a as a commandment. Uh, is baptism like a work? Just yeah. generally. Speaking? Um, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not sure how to answer that question. Okay. Uh, I, I don't see it as a work of the law. Um, I, I think it's part, it's, you know, cause it's, it's a part, it's, uh, something that comes with the new covenant. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't a part of the old covenant. Uh, so I, it's, it's not appropriate to call it a work of the law. I, uh, I wouldn't call it just a work like, uh, just uh, like flippantly call it a work or yeah. consider it a work. What I what I consider baptism. Uh, so the thing about baptism, right, is, uh, and part of the reason why why Catholics have sacramental theology is because uh, we're physical creatures mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's fitting that there's these these physical ways of experiencing or these physical representations of in uh, things that you can't otherwise perceive, right? Mm-hmm. So we experience the love of God through the love of fellow Christians, right? Um, so it's 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 this idea, and it really permeates kind of um, like if you want to call it like Catholic cosmology, okay. like in the philosophical sense, right? how the 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 way things are this um and it's this um uh the idea that these things make things that we couldn't otherwise perceive real right so marriage makes the the mystical union of christ and the church incredibly real to us right that's why marriage is a sacrament yeah. uh baptism makes the forget the washing away of sins incredibly real because it's like because you're physically experiencing your your body being washed with water right mm-hmm. and at the same time this this spiritual real uh, spiritual reality is happening at the same time so it's a it's a way of um you know i think of it as a way of uh the sacrament of theology is a way of worshiping god in spirit and truth um and it's a way of experiencing things that we couldn't otherwise perceive. Okay. So what, how would you, because you mentioned uh, before <laughs> the Nacho Libre where he just walks up to him. And <laughs> I love that movie, man. That's like my favorite. That's my favorite. One of my favorite scenes from the movie. Um, so what would make, uh, what would make a baptism legitimate and, and efficacious for salvation? Right. Uh, so if it's, um, 
if it's a an adult uh Uh, so if it's an adult, they'd have to have a an appropriate understanding of what this baptism means, right? Uh, you can't just, you, you know, you can't just baptize people without them understanding the gospel, right? Uh, and then it needs to be a baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, so which is okay. called the Trinity baptism. And then, so for infants, it would just have to be a, a Trinitarian baptism as Jesus commanded in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But so why is there the distinction, right? Like why is there, to me, it seems like there's two ways, like for one, the adult you say, right? Like they have to understand the gospel. Um, but then for the child, it, it just has to be the, the Trinitarian. Well, I mean, you could think of it as the child has a much, as much of an understanding of the gospel as is possible for them. You yeah. can think of it. And do you think, do you believe that, um, man, do you believe that, uh, I phrase this question that the, the child that is, I don't think you do. Cause I, I've, I, I, like I said, I've talked to some Catholics, um, and I, and I did do a little bit of research. So, right. You believe that you have to keep your, do you, or would you agree with the statement? You have to, after being baptized, you have to keep. Um, your salvation in a sense, like you have to keep working. You have to live out your baptism. Right. You have to live it out. Right. So there, there is, see, that's where I would disagree. Right. Cause I, 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 I think that Jesus is clear in, in saying, the Bible is clear in saying, right. You repent of your sins. You, you believe and put your faith in Christ. And those that, that are his children, that, Bible says, right, that the father holds him in their hands and no one can take them from him, that his sheep um, hear his voice and follow him and that he's not going to lose any of that which the father has given to him. Um, and I'm sure you have an answer to that. Like, what would you, yeah, what would be your answer to that? Right. So for the last comment, that's a very common one. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, father, I've lost none that you have given me. If you read, uh, it's in the end of John uh, when Jesus is betrayed. Mm -hmm. uh, he's with the the his apostles and he's being arrested and uh, I believe it's Peter cuts off the servant's ear and then Jesus tells them but he's uh, like none of the other apostles get arrested Jesus is like you just came from me right and then it says in there it says he said this so that it might be fulfilled I've lost none of that you have given to me and so that that verse has been fulfilled. It, mm -hmm. It's right there, John. Um, also in John 17, uh, the, Jesus has his, his prayer for the church and he says, Father, I've lost none that you have given me except for the son of perdition, uh, Jesus, of course. So um, I, don't, I don't see that verse as presenting a problem to uh, the Catholic view that a Christian can lose their salvation. Okay. Um, so would you see salvation as a, as a work of, of God? Yep. Or do you see? Yes. You see it as a work of God, but yeah. you still ha do you, but you still have a responsibility to live that out. Right. Yes. Uh, so in Catholic theology, we do, we have a role to play, uh, but it is a work of God. Uh, so 
Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I believe that God is responsible for our salvation. Um, the way I, the way I describe it is, um, you know, you have faith and then by faith you receive the Holy spirit and the chief gift of the Holy spirit is love. Right. Okay. That's, and this, so this charity, at least we call it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you are, you are commanded to use this love, uh, to, to manifest this love outwardly, you know, horizontally, uh, in your life. And so that, uh, so abs- and absolutely that's necessary. Uh, but it's all, but it's because of what it's because God has given you this, um, this love that you can do truly good works. So do you, do you believe that, that your works play a role in your salvation? Yes. Yes. It's like uh, what Paul says, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for yeah. God who works in you. Right. So Catholics, we, we don't have any problem with saying that we have to work out our salvation or that uh, there are, that we're, we play a part in our salvation because, yeah. because it is actually, it's God working through us and in us. And so okay. it should be appropriate to boast, right? So, because, I mean, if, if because I, I, the, the verses that come to mind, right, like the, the passage of scripture that comes to mind is, is Galatians 3, right, where, where uh, Paul says, you know, you started out, I'll just look it up. I don't want to mm-hmm. mess it up. Um, sure. Right. He says, you know, who has bewitched you? Um, and he goes to say, like, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You're so foolish. Having begun by the spirit, are you not being perfected by the flesh? And so I, when I when I hear what you're saying about the, you know, your works play a role into, in your salvation, it sounds like what Paul is is telling the Galatians not to do, right? Where you're, you're saved by faith, by grace through faith in Christ. Um, and as, as Ephesians two says, right, not by works. But then, if you if you seems like if your works are playing a role in your salvation, then it's then it is being carried out to a completion, not just by faith, by the by the work of God, but by the works that you do. Right. Well, it's important to note that um, our works don't uh, merit salvation. Uh, that's an important distinction. See, with the law, your works are necessary to merit salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a Catholic, our salvation has been merited by Jesus Christ. But then, you know, it's like the the parable of the the what is it? The unfaithful servant, where God gives His servants these different talents, these different measures of gifts, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they're responsible to put those gifts to good use, right? And so God gives us this gift of love and we it's absolutely necessary that we uh that we put it to use, uh which it will manifest through works of love. I mean, that's just how love will manifest. Yeah. Except that if and I guess I guess it, it hinges on if baptism is a work or not, I think ultimately, right? Because if if baptism is the thing that saves us, or as you say, as a Catholic, if it saves you and it's a work, then I, f- 
I see that in contradiction to to the verses that we and the things that we quoted. <clears throat> right. So actually, yeah. Um uh, with baptism, I'll say this. So like you're doing the work you're doing in baptism is you're just you're being immersed in water, right? Um but it's in for Catholic theology, it's sacramental, right? And so at the same time, you are experiencing this new birth and this forgiveness of sins, but it's God who's doing that part. The transcendent part is all being done by God. Yeah, but you are actively, but without doing that work, that physical work, you're saying that the transcendent part doesn't take place. Would that be correct or am I misunderstanding well, that? Yes, I, I would say that, uh, I mean, the, yes. Yeah, I mean they're tied together uh, in the in the sacramental theology, but uh, I mean it's God's doing the the He's doing the the transcendent side of things, and the fact that you know I think yeah. it, to me it's the fact that God's including us in in this is uh, you know I see it as a beautiful thing that we're include you know God could just uh, it didn't it doesn't like have to be this way right uh but as catholics we believe this is what what we see in the bible i mean in first peter 4 peter says baptism now saves you mm -hmm. um and this is how we as catholics deal with that versus we say yes it saves you not as you know water you know cleansing your body but what is transcendently happening? Yeah. yeah, no, I, I, so I agree with that verse because it's in the Bible, right? Like I, I definitely agree. Baptism now saves you. Um, I do believe that it is talking not about a physical baptism or that our, our physical baptism plays a role in, into that. I think it's, it's talking about a spiritual reality, right? We're baptized um, by the Holy spirit and we're saved from our sin. Um, and even if an individual isn't physically baptized, they they are still saved because because of that work of the Holy Spirit that they they are brought to life by by Him and and put their faith and trust in Christ by His work, right? And that's where that's where I like honestly that's where that's where I'm like I I don't I think would you would you agree or would you say that we have a different gospel the you and I as um on the matter of baptism not really uh i would just say you know our uh our our like our cosmology is different uh because uh because the, you know the idea of the transcendent being linked like the transcendent side of baptism the spiritual baptism being linked to physical baptism, right? Like you disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, and so that's sort of like, that, I mean, that's the difference between a sacramental idea, a sacramental theology and a non-sacramental theology. I, I would just say in, you know, in defense of the Catholic side, the reason why they believe the, the spiritual baptism and the, the physical baptism are linked. It comes from uh, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, uh, I hear you unless a man is born of water and the spirit. And so mm -hmm. that like that's where that comes from. Um but I I would say uh you know with other uh 
I, I have other issues with Calvinist theology in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the issue of baptism, I'd say it's strictly, uh, it's just that, um, that sacramental difference. Um, but like, do you, this is a hard question. And like, do you, do you believe that here? Like I said before, right. I believe the gospel is that um, Jesus Christ died for, for the sins of his people. Mm-hmm. And he rose again on the third day and he's seated at the right hand of the father. And those that turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in him will be saved from the punishment that we all deserve because of our sin, because we sinned against him. And, you know, the call of the gospel is to repent and believe in that gospel, to repent and believe in Christ. Do you agree with, do you, would you agree with that? Would you say that's a complete gospel or am I missing something there? Um, uh, I would I would say I agree with everything you said. Now, as for the the completedness of it, um, well, I might change. I might change one thing. I'd say Jesus died for uh, the sins of the world. Okay. Uh, right, because Catholics do not believe in a limited atonement. Uh, but other, like, I would agree with all those statements. I'd probably. Uh, like that's that's good for sort of the 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 initiation uh the initial salvation but i'd i'd probably say something about you also have to um uh love jesus and obey his commandments and and that's so that's that's a that's the law right there bryce right uh no it's not because uh we we're not operating under the the like the Old Testament line, we're operating under uh, love, right? And so and it, Jesus says, right, like if you love me, you will obey my commandments, right? And so it's it's fun. It's not about um, rule following per se, but it's about this love, right? Uh, you know, specifically love as the gift from the Holy Spirit, and that manifesting outward in our life. Yeah, so I, I, th- I think there's a difference in saying right. So like like I said, what the gospel was like: repent and believe in the gospel, put your faith and trust in Christ. It's not anything that you do; it's by His grace. That's the gospel. Like if you, the man, the the thief on the cross, right? He didn't have time to, to, live out the commandments after his life. But I do st- still think that he was saved because he put his faith and trust in Christ. Um. And I think there's there's people even to this day, right, that are on their deathbed and they have a come to Jesus moment, a true, like they repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ and then they die. And they don't have the time to, to um, do these commandments, right? So I think that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That gospel is what I, what I mentioned. But I, I also know that, right, like when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we become a new creation. And that is going to show itself, right? Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. So I think that's a different matter. And it seems like Catholic theology ties the, the, um, the effect of our salvation with, with, um, I mean, that's not the way to say it, 
but it it seems like it ties the I'll, I'll say I, I I I agree that Christians, true Christians that have been transformed, will show that they have been saved. Mm-hmm. But the works that they manifest aren't playing a role in their salvation because Jesus Christ performed every work necessary for their salvation. Would you agree with that statement? Well, I would agree that salvation is merited for us by Christ and that uh, justification is merited for us by Christ and that our works are not meriting salvation for us. I'd agree with that. But I do believe uh, works do play uh, a role in our salvation, specifically like, so you know, hold, like yeah, so that's in heaven. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Can, can you repeat that again? The last little part. Uh, like the, the, the idea of storing up treasure in heaven, right? Okay. That's, that's a way in which our works have um, a, a, you know, a, an internal effect. Right. And it is, I, I don't see that as something like, I, I see that as, you know, part of our salvation but our works our works don't merit salvation uh like a Catholic, if you read like um i love the the canons on justification from the council of trend like i forget which canon it is, but it explicitly says that like our justification which is you know that's not all of our the whole picture of salvation but justification right that's how we're made right with god mm-hmm. right and it, it's it says our justification is merited for us by jesus and not like and full stop there. Mm-hmm. And so once when, when somebody is justified, are they then saved from the punishment of their sin? Right. They are? So, or or are if, they so are they not? So when you when you're justified, yes, you are made right with God. Okay. Um now in Catholic theology you can you can lose your justification, which is why you need to, uh, right. I mean, that's, so that's, yeah. that's where it's kind you of, confu- can, you can lose your salvation in, in Catholicism. See, that's a little confusing. That's, that's where it gets a little confusing for me. Right. Because if we say your justification is merited to you by Christ, it is given to you by Christ. And I, and I did a, did a little bit of, um, reading and, um, I didn't read the whole Catholic catechism. I should someday. Um, but I did, I did read some expert excerpts from it and one of those right was like saying that salvation is a gift but it's a gift we can lose right so if if we say that because i agree i I believe that justification is merited to us by christ and because it is merited to us by christ i don't think that it's ours to lose if that makes sense and that's where where it gets confusing and 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 uh I just don't know. I just don't see how those two things tie together, right? Like saying, "Yeah, Jesus did it, but we undid it." Uh, yeah. So it's sort of uh, one way to look at it is the the parable of the wicked servant, right? So you have a servant who owes his master. He was like, uh, he owes his master this sum he cannot pay back, mm-hmm. and so he pleads with his master, and his master forgives him, right? And so it. You know, it's a parable of God forgiving us. And then, so he's forgiven, right? Yep. His sins are forgiven. You can think of it as that. He's made right. But then he goes to his fellow servant and demands that his fellow servant pays what he owed him. 
And so then, of course, because he was unwilling to forgive his fellow servant, uh, the, the master then makes him pay back his debt that he had previously forgiven him, right? And so that that parable paints uh, a very explicit picture of how uh, a Christian can lose their salvation, right? So it is this free gift from God, but if we abuse it, right, if we're forgiven much, but we cannot forgive our brothers little, uh, then, uh, you know, we should, uh, uh, like, then it can be taken away, basically. Okay. And I, I think that's the the lesson of that parable. Yeah, I I mean I I think the parable is is showing us right like we we should um, just like Jesus says right to to love to follow his example of love right like he died for for his for his people um, and we should love like Christ has has loved um, in the same way right like we've been forgiven and we should. Um, do the same thing with other people. I don't see it as a as a example of, of people losing their their salvation. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the example is the the servant was forgiven, uh, mm -hmm. but then the forgiveness was taken away. Okay, I'll I'll have to look into that one, Bryce, for yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to. We were talking about the gospel, <laughs> the the salvation itself, um, for a while. I did, and it's along the same lines. This, what are your thoughts on Mary? <laughs> <That's> kinda... <laughs> right. So Mary was. Uh, that was the difficult. That was the most difficult thing to get over. Right, was Mary. So, um, right, there are. The does she play a role in salvation of, of people on earth? Uh, she play, uh, I mean, <laughs> in as much as, uh, she was chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus. Okay. Uh, but, uh, it's the, this, it's the sacrifice of Jesus that saves us. I mean, her, like, you could say she plays a role in salvation because she had, she was the mother of Jesus. Uh, but uh, I mean, salvation still merited by the work and sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, now, my uh, my idea of Mary has changed dramatically in the last year, right? Um, uh, because I had always been taught that Catholics worshipped Mary, uh, which is something I no longer believe, right? So in Catholic theology, uh, when Jesus on the cross entrusts uh, Mary to John, and then he says, you know, John, behold your mother, Catholics see that as a uh, Mary becoming the spiritual mother of all Christians. And that fits into the motif of us being adopted sons of God, and then Jesus is our elder brother, and Mary is our, our mother, spirit, our spiritual mother, right? And so then... There is this, uh, you know, uh, it's good to honor your mother, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody can honor Mary more than Jesus honors Mary. And so it's appropriate to uh, show a level of honor. Now, it, you shouldn't love Mary more than Jesus, right? 
Jesus said, if anyone loves his father and mother more than me, they are not worthy of me. Right. And so if there was like, if there was hypothetically like a Catholic that loved Mary more than Jesus, I would say that's idolatry. And I, I totally condemn that. Yeah. Right. Um, and, but at the same time, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say but because this is a completely separate thought. So, but so, <laughs> uh, in the, in the Gospels, when uh, it was Elizabeth, when she's filled with the the Holy Spirit, what she says is, you know, uh, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and also it says. Who says this, but it says all generations will call Mary blessed, right? And so I see the the Catholic, um, the honor Catholics hold for Mary as being a continuation of that of that biblical uh, prophecy. Yeah. So the first thing that that comes to mind is um, why why is it that Jesus only said to John, like, "Behold, your mother," just to John? Right, because there were other Christian or followers of Christ there, alongside with him. Why? Why did he make the blanket statement to them, like to say, um, "Followers of mine, like here is your mother Mary." Um, I thought, uh, well, that's a good question. My understanding was Jesus was deserted at the cross, except for the Apostle John and Mary. Is my understanding. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, he was deserted by all the apostles. Yeah. And John was there, and I, um, I know that. Uh, I don't know. I think of like a Nicodemus, and I believe what I think the other gentleman's name was Joseph, right? That went to, to Pilate to ask for his body after he was dead, right? Mm-hmm. To put on his. I don't know. I, Were they there at the crucifixion though? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know who sure. else was there. Right? You know, uh, but I mean, if you're like, I'll, I'll have to look that up later. If that's true, that's it. That's an important cons- an, an important consideration. Yeah, no, that's what yeah. that's what comes to mind, honestly. In that, um, do you do you do you Bryce do you pray to Mary? Uh, so I ask. I I will pray for, which means to ask. I'll ask Mary to pray for me. And that's just um, asking, uh, uh, you know, for the intercession of or the prayers of saints in heaven, right? And in Catholic theology, that's no different than asking anyone here on earth to pray. Yeah. Uh, so I would, I, I certainly do that, and like I'll pray the rosary. Uh, I don't view it as. Um, uh, as a uh, well, I, I don't view it as a like a, an act of worship, yeah, uh, because I, I don't see Mary as a uh, like uh, like some sort of goddess or anything or possessing any sort of like divine power, right? Do you do you, is there like is there a passage of scripture? that you would be able, like that you would point to just like that shows that ever happening in scripture. Like, where do you, do you know where that, where, um, I guess, yeah. Is there a passage of scripture that you would point to, to say like, Hey, this is my biblical backing for this position that we can pray to the, the 
the people that are in heaven. Or we can we can ask them to pray for us and that they will actually hear us. Uh, so the the I would point to uh, uh, so we shouldn't expect uh, you know to see too much of that in the the uh, New Testament because of uh, how early it was written. But uh, the practice of asking Christians who are dead to pray for you, it arose very early on. I'd point to things like, uh, I believe in the end of Thessalonians, where it talks about Christians who have died and it won't, like, the, the early church didn't consider um, Christians who had passed as dead. They considered them alive in heaven. Yeah. Right. Uh, in Revelation, uh, you do have the 24 elders offering prayers to God at, at, and it was symbolized as incense. Uh, you know, it's not uh, like there's no, it's not like there's nothing uh, particularly explicit. The biggest thing I would say is there's, there's no, there's no Bible. There's no verse in the Bible saying not to ask uh, dead uh, Christians who have gone to heaven to pray for you. Yeah. Right. But I feel like that's a, I think that's a, I think that's a dangerous place to be, to say like, well, it doesn't say not to, because I've heard, not, not I'm not mm. just saying this because of you, but I've heard people say that before. It's like, well, the Bible doesn't say not to X, Y, and Z. And, and I've even said that before, right? To excuse right. things that I do. Yeah, I, I, I can totally see that going wrong. Obviously in in Catholicism, there is a, uh, I like to call it a map of orthodoxy, right? Mm -hmm. Where a lot of heresies have been very clearly outlined. So there isn't a, uh, there isn't a whole lot of, like, and that's a lot less of a danger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think if someone believes that, that specific thing that the people in heaven can hear their prayers. But at the same time, I'm like, why, why would I, if they're in heaven where Christ is, right? Like, I'm just going to direct my prayer directly to Christ. I, well, see, that comes from the verses that command us to pray for each other. Yeah. Uh, right. And so in the Catholic view, people in heaven, you know, they're, they're more incorporated in the body of Christ than we are. and we you know it's it's kind of i it, to me anyways it's strange to think that people go to heaven and then they stop like do they stop caring about the, ch the church militant you know the church here on the earth like are they just like well you know i did i did my time i'm gonna just check check out i'm i'm done like i i you know i would think if you're more united with christ uh you know than we hear on earth, then you would have more of a heart to pray for the church. Yeah. Than on earth. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand that, but there's a, that's a different, that's different than saying like that they can actually hear our prayers that they're actually like with like that they're, uh, yeah, like they can actually like hear us talking with, with them. Right. So that's, saints are still um, like, they're not omnipotent, right? You don't yeah. become an omnipotent. So, um, 
uh, the okay, actually, the the idea behind um, how saints are able to hear our prayers is like the technique. There is a there is a a fleshed out explanation for uh, explanation for it, um, which I cannot I I'm, I cannot take. Hey, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> but, but basically, it's God tells them what we say. Okay. Then why why wouldn't I just, <laughs> just never mind never mind it's all good it's all good oh uh, I won't make you mess it out anymore I do have another question this is a kind of a yeah yeah uh, is is the Pope infallible do you believe that the Pope is infallible right the infallibility of the Pope so mm-hmm. uh, the the Pope can speak infallibly on specific subjects at specific times um but he can't but only if it's for that the infallibility is for things like clarifications and articulations right okay the the pope couldn't tomorrow like infallibly declare um you know that the king james version is the only uh the only valid version of the bible like he could not infallibly declare that. So he, it's it's almost like uh, like the claim of papal infallibility means a lot less than a lot of people think it means, right? Okay. So the Pope can only infallibly declare something that is already true, <laughs> is is part of the idea. And uh, so if there's a situation where there needs to be like a... Uh, like if it's something that you're right, it has to be part of, there's a, there's a formal statement on it, but part of it is it has to be in union with the, the, I believe it was the college of bishops. It says, and uh, so the Pope can't make stuff up is what I'm trying to get. Yeah. Could the Pope, could the Pope make a statement or clarification on what the Bible says about marriage specifically? And and that be, and, and, Let's say, hypothetically speaking, the Pope says uh, the Bible makes room for uh, gay marriage. Could the Pope say that? And- right. Yeah, so that wouldn't be able to happen because it's already been dogmatically declared. Uh, like marriage has already been dogmatically declared to be between a man and a woman. Right. And so to issue a uh, something that contradicted that uh, yeah. wouldn't wouldn't be possible. No. Yeah. So I I agree with you. I don't because I don't think anybody can say that. I was it's very clear in the Bible. Um, and I guess I I keep going back. I keep thinking back to our earlier part of our conversation. I know you probably have to go <laughs> held you too long, anyways. But I I, I go back to thinking about the uh, statements very clear statements made in the Bible about salvation. And then what seems to me to be contradictory statements made by the Catholic church or, or mm-hmm. with those statements, right? Like saying, you know, the Bible says grace, uh, the gospel is power of God for salvation and that we are saved by grace through faith, um, not of works. And yet it seems like there's that, that put into it on, um, I don't know, man. This is right. Uh, so, go ahead, man. Yeah. So, um, 
uh, Catholics believe that we are saved by grace alone. Uh, we disagree on uh, the the faith, you know, justification by faith alone. Um, but I, you know, I an important thing to consider is Catholicism does teach that every good thing we have is a gift of God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, um, right? Like Catholics aren't, aren't missing out on the idea of grace. It's there. Fair enough. No. Well, yeah, I don't want to keep it too long, man. I know that I kind of, I probably already did anyways, but <laughs> no, I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on Bryce and um, answering my questions. Had a lot of questions. Um, is there anything that you want to, anything that you, like comes to mind that you want to say before we kind of wrap up the conversation? Uh, no, I just uh, want to say thank you for having me on. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I was able to talk about Catholicism. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I really like uh, becoming Catholic has been a, a very transformative experience for me. Um, and I just feel so on fire for the Lord and for spreading the good news. Um, obviously I believe that the fullness of truth is found in the Catholic church, but yeah. yeah, Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I guess Bryce, I, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say, I wish that you weren't in the Catholic church, if I'm honest with you, because I think like for the reasons that we talked about that it, Unfortunately, the gospel is is added to, and that concerns me. And I, I wish that you would come out of the Catholic Church. But I do really appreciate you coming and talking with me and, um, and answering my questions very gracefully and and uh, responding to the arguments being made. Um, so yeah, man. Yeah, I I so on a completely different note. We do this at the end of every episode, and it's like we just talked about something very, very serious. Now I'm going to talk about something super stupid, <laughs> but it's the most important question we call it every night, um, and that is, which one is better, Chipotle or Qdoba? Uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, Chipotle. Yes, sir. That's the only right answer. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I used to own Chipotle stock, and I made some money oh, off. Oh snap! Nice, dude. Nice. <laughs> good food making money yeah dude that's the way to do it but yeah Bryce again I appreciate you coming on yeah thanks for having me yeah dude you have a good night and uh peace out to everybody